This is Mary Beth Ellis for Fansided. Welcome to Trench Run, a column in which we'll explore a single aspect of this sprawling saga to see what it has to say about Star Wars, the story, and us. Today we're discussing the significant contributions of former bartender, current girls soccer coach, and constant actor Brendan Wayne to the character of Din Djarin in The Mandalorian. In a franchise bedrock in firepower and blaster bolts, one of The Mandalorian's finest qualities is its remarkable ability to shut up when necessary. Din Djarin's early communication style was the quiet of terrifying intimidation, a warning quiet. It was a quiet broken only to inform the bounty that he is, in fact, a bounty. Let's sit here with that for a second, because in those early moments, Din Djarin was introduced to us by way of kicking mean girls and spilling space beer and slicing adversaries in half via rapid door closure. When Mando was done being quiet, you misunderstood the ending of the quiet at your peril. Telling wasn't necessary when he was so very good at showing. If you're wondering why you can't find a man like Mando in the wild, that is because a person of such high-quality testosterone requires the significant talents of three different men. Mando's physical stillness is the product of actor Brendan Wayne, whose one-third of Din consists mostly of body doubling. In the early days after The Mandalorian first dropped and Baby Yoda memes were requisitioning America, Little was acknowledged about Wayne's ability to undertake one heart-stopping entrance after another, often with his middle-aged wizard baby under one arm. But even before the show premiered and detonated pop culture, Brendan Wayne was happy just to have semi-auditioned with a Mando suit in a building that also contained Thor's hammer. His family was intact, his girls' soccer team flourished, and he had proven himself proficient in a Boba Fett helmet. Nothing else needed saying, he'd already won. If you have drawn a direct line here between one Wayne actor and another, you have drawn correctly. Brendan's healthy attitude concerning John's complicated legacy is probably foundational to his boots-on-the-ground reaction to becoming one-third of a 21st century icon. Brendan Wayne was born into an industry that is often stuffed with noxious expectations and corrosive resentments. Yet he neither runs from nor leans on being the son of a son of a 20th century icon. To do so is telling. Mando, remember, is a man of showing. You'll know when he's ready to update his social media status. This is where Brendan Wayne's teaching abilities are pressed into service in the mosaic rendering of Din. Any participant of any sports knows that filling out rosters and yelling about hydration is a terrible way to pass on knowledge. Where descendants of Westerns like Star Wars are concerned, bad teaching is telling everyone to copy the notes on the board. Good teaching is the screening of Stagecoach. Film profs who still show 1939's Stagecoach to their classes go hard if you play it all the way through. But here's one moment at which almost everyone stops. John Wayne enters the film, and they stop. They press pause on John Wayne as he spins a rifle, halting the stagecoach, the film, the men, the women, the children, the genre, the industry, and the planet. John Wayne is dressed in dust and the American West. He holds a saddle in one hand and his rifle in the other, and between the two, a place for his grandson eight decades down the line, if he chooses to take it. There's little question about what this is and why it's happening. This man is here to command the picture and say pretty much nothing about doing so. 
It's a dramatic moment because director John Ford wanted it to be a dramatic moment, emphasizing that this broad-shouldered man was so rugged and so morally complex that mere pistols weren't enough for him to spin. This man needed a rifle in order to issue a proper announcement about his intentions, because he certainly wasn't going to undertake a monologue about it. The rifle in question in Stagecoach was originally 37 inches long and would have banged Wayne's arm without intervention, so Ford asked his crew to cut it down to 15 inches. It was going to work, this rifle. They just needed to shorten it. Wayne would do the rest. This is the origin of one of the greatest introductions in the history of film entertainment. The only way Brendan Wayne could have possibly prepared to follow any of this was to walk his own life, figuring out who to put in goal during the second half and keeping his own shooting hand close to the hip. This he did. The powder was dry, but the jobbing went on for quite some time. At one point, Wayne seemed to at last found his break with a role in 2011's Cowboys and Aliens, but his part was whittled down the film foundered and he went back behind the bar. Well, there was nothing more to discuss at the moment. His reason for working on that film had not yet arrived. It wasn't time. Too many people weren't yet in place. For one, Din Djarin's voice, the currently omnipresent Pedro Pascal, was busy. Talent-drenched, photogenic, incandescently endearing, and quick with a compliment to journalists on nail polish choices, Pascal was fashioned in the womb specifically to reign supreme over all of media. Definitely for 2023, possibly for all time. But in the moment, Pascal was plunged deep into Shakespeare and enduring a clean-shaven existence while filming Wonder Woman 1984. Meanwhile, Brendan Wayne was doing his very best to blow his shot at the role of a generation. He agreed to try out a costume for Jon Favreau, the director of Cowboys and Aliens. As it turned out, this was a Star Wars project, a gigantic secret, and Brendan Wayne couldn't say anything about it. This required the tersest of brusque body language, the best of pleasing behaviors. Wayne stood by for the unboxing of what was clearly a Mandalorian-inspired costume and said, oh, Boba Fett, and very quickly learned that he wasn't allowed to say that either. Wayne clothed himself in not Boba Fett and walked to the set like he owned the joint, volume and all. He'd decided that this was the moment to speak on behalf of Din Djarin, so he made it count, announcing that his holster was too high and the cape was going to get caught on everything, and did they honestly expect him to pull this Amban sniper rifle right off his back and start shooting? It was far too long. I mean, it was going to work, this rifle, they just needed to shorten it. Wayne would do the rest. Asked to return for a screen test, Brendan Wayne shrugged and explained that the timing conflicted with taking one of his three daughters to college. Show, don't tell. And Lucasfilm rescheduled. By this time, Mando also had a stunt and combat artist, direct Adonis descendant Latif Crowder. The three-thirds were traveling from different directions and at different speeds, but it didn't matter. The one, Mando, mattered. These gentlemen were taking the time to do this thing correctly. They'd land in the same place when they needed to. People don't really remember that the first scene of the first episode of the first season of The Mandalorian doesn't start in a bar. 
It opens outside the bar in the snow with a red light against the shadows and a determined man in a tattered cape trying to find his way. We see him from the back. We don't see his face. As it turns out, we very rarely will. For the moment, it is quiet. Then we go inside and the roughers start roughing up and then the door opens and no one says a word, even though silhouetted against the darkness he's just left behind is Brendan Wayne, dead center of one of the greatest introductions in the history of filmed entertainment. And that is why no one talks much about the red tracking fob outside the bar. I'm sure you get this all the time. I once heard a podcaster say on the air, but my first ever homework assignment in film school was watching Stagecoach. I love it, said Brendan Wayne on the other end of the line. He does get this all the time, and he does love it. He likes a good story. Stories are important. They teleport and they intersect. The best stories illuminate human relationships of how living souls can touch fingers across generations. When it's time to tell one, we will know. For Fansided, this is Mary Beth Ellis.